This is Safety Walls Podcast. We love Earth and Earthlings. Nature is a giant clockwise mechanism. Everything is neatly arranged and interconnected. Everything has its own place and its function. Welcome to the another exciting episode of Earth Safety Walls Podcast. This is Ratna Singh. I'm a young author and environmental activist from India. And today in this episode, we are going to talk about something which has its own kingdom. Yes, it is fungi, which were once thought of as plant, but now classified as a separate kingdom. And this kingdom includes not only the familiar mushrooms and puffballs, but also yeast and lichens. Many articles in support of the biodiversity conservation perspective think of nature as being important, not for simply existing, but for the services it provides. Today, I am joined by an Australian biologist, Anita, who is very keen on fungi and all they have to offer humanity. There is a very inspiring story behind how she came into this field and started exploring about the fungi. But I think instead of I jump to turn her biography, it would be great that you listen by her own. So Anita, a very warm welcome to our podcast episode and I'm very, very excited to talk with you. Please go ahead with our audience and tell them the journey, how you started and how the destiny connects you to this. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so my name is Anita. I am a trained animal scientist. Um, and previously, you know, I've done research uh, related to parasites um, and taxonomy. And uh, I've taught biological subjects at one of the larger universities here in Melbourne, Australia. Um, currently, I'm working as a lab technician. Um, but I don't really have uh, a lot of formal training regarding fungi, but uh, over the years I've um, immersed myself in the world of fungi because I just found it so fascinating and um, really there's so many ways that fungi can help us and benefit us and the environment. Um, so, you know, I created a, an Instagram account where I post all the, the different mushrooms that I find in my area and I help people learn about them. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to sort of stand on the rooftop and say, hey, pay attention to fungi. They're amazing. Um, and, you know, personally, I, I've been through a lot when it comes to my health. I have an autoimmune disease. Um, where my immune system attacks my body, my joints, my tendons and ligaments. And I'm, I'm always in pain. I'm always fatigued. Um, you know, it's a, every day is a battle in one way or another. And um, my interest in fungi really helped me through the darkest time in my life when I was experiencing a really bad flare-up. Um, you know, I had to basically stop everything in my life. I had to forfeit a PhD scholarship because I was too sick to study. I was too sick to do anything. I was in severe pain. And, you know, then I got this diagnosis um, and realised that, oh, this this is something that's going to be in my life for a long time. And I had to basically rethink 
um, and replan my life and how can I best keep myself going and look after myself the best because um, the better I look after myself, the better I feel. Every little bit helps. So um, during this time where I was really sick and in, in pain, I every now and then would feel up to going for a walk in nature um, and, you know, it really made me feel alive and I noticed all the beautiful things in the forests down here in Melbourne, in Victoria. Um, you know, we're really, really lucky to be surrounded by such beautiful temperate forests and mountains and um, with such high biodiversity. Australia is very biodiverse, um, so I feel very lucky to be living here and I just sort of um, occupied myself with exploring on the days that I felt okay to leave the house and uh, you know I would take my camera and take as many photos of all the things I would find all the amazing shapes and colors of fungi and I um, you know I got some guidebooks and I joined a whole heap of groups and I started learning one by one all the, the fungi that are around in my area and how to identify them and whether they have any use um, to, to us and what role they play in the ecosystem. And yeah, it just kind of, it took off. There's so many other people that um, are doing the similar thing, uh, you know, connecting through people over Instagram. I, there's really a, a movement at the moment where people are, finally awakening to the amazing kingdom of fungi and all that it can do. So I'm just happy to be a part of it. And, um, you know, spending time in the forest uh, helped me heal or, you know, come to terms with things um, mentally, physically, emotionally. It made me feel more connected to the planet, connected to all other living things and, um that's, you know, the way that we should be, honestly. It's the way that we always have been until recently. You know, we live very unnatural lives now and um, a lot of people are sick because of the way that we live. So, um, yeah, I, I've integrated fungi a lot in my diet as food and as medicine and even, um, you know, with my photography as a creative outlet and other people that are interested in fungi, you know, networking with them and making good friends with them. And, um, yeah, it's just it's been a wholesome experience. <laughs> okay. So I think, uh, indeed, it's down to know that you had a very, um, you know, bad epi health episodes. But uh, we all know that life always follows the paths like a wave. So intelligence is that if we are accepting to the uh, trust, then we have to accept the crust and as well. So um, how exactly did you benefit from nature after your this uh, diagnosis with an autoimmune disease amidst the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown? Uh, well, my diagnosis was back in 2017. Um, so, you know, I, I got really sick a few years before the pandemic. But um, this whole time since then, I've been put on different medications, different immunosuppressants to see whether it helps me and my symptoms um, or not. And I had to try each one for several months at a time to give it a good go. And you know, these medicines are highly regulated. Um, 
you have to apply to the government and you have to try them in a certain order. And, you know, I'm actually just about to start my seventh different immunosuppressant because still each one that I've tried has helped a little bit more and a little bit more, but not as much as I would hope because, you know, I'm, I have a full-time job, I'm very busy and I try and keep active because I feel better when I'm active. You know, with arthritis, it, it hurts to move, but it also hurts to not move. And when your muscles are not strong, um, you know, I feel like I'm in more pain. My body can't support itself the way that it needs to. So um, basically with all the, the pain and inflammation in my body, I have to be very careful about how I move my body and what's going to be beneficial. So it has to be low impact um, to the joints and it has to be something that I'm not going to overdo it because it's so easy to do a bit too much and then suffer rebound pain and problems for days, maybe weeks, even afterwards. So um, definitely just the walking aspect of um, going on the walking trails out in nature ha has helped me significantly. Walking is low impact. It, um, you know, gets your heart rate up and, um, you know, you get all those beneficial things from exercise, the endorphins and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, it just feels good to breathe in fresh air as well, honestly. Um, and, you know, we know that uh, people that are sick or injured or recovering in hospital um, from whatever, they have better recovery outcomes when they have access to a green space. So they don't even have to go in there. They just have to have a view of it from their window. Um, so people that can even just look down into a park or a a green space um, already that is helping their recovery more than if they didn't have that, which I find amazing. Um, so it not only, you know, walking through nature was pretty much one of the only things I could do besides yoga. Um, yoga also helped me immensely stretching my body and undoing a lot of the tightness that you know, my body was tending to to go towards and um, basically just uh, you know stretching um, I didn't want to lose range of movement um, because basically with with musculoskeletal problems like mine if you don't use it you lose it um, so I all I could really do is do a little bit of yoga and do a little bit of walking and then that's it. I was so fatigued and in such pain. Like every day I could only pretty much do one thing. Um, and when you have to be so selective about what you want to do, you, basically it's, well, either today I can either wash the dishes or vacuum the floor and not both because doing both will put me in too much pain. So um, I really had to be selective about what little time I had when I felt okay. Um, how am I going to use that time to benefit myself and my health? Because, um, you know, the first few medicines that I tried really 
did not help much at all and in fact gave made me even sicker they gave me really horrible side effects and I couldn't handle it it wasn't helping me so then I would move on to the next medication and then the next medication um so also um I found with having such profound inflammation chronic inflammation and pain in my whole body you know this affects me from my head to my toes everywhere where there's a a joint or a tendon in the body there's so many of them um so basically um where was i going with this i had to be selective with my time and do things that can could benefit my health because if i didn't i absolutely felt worse if I ate junk food, I felt so much more pain and fatigue and sluggishness and even gastrointestinal pain and issues. And um, I actually ended up in so much pain with gastrointestinal problems that I had to severely restrict my diet for a while and eat very healthy, um, very sort of plain, uh, natural, clean food because if I ate anything else, um, any kind of sugar or alcohol or caffeine or anything of those pro-inflammatory pro foods or drinks, um, I felt a noticeable difference almost straight away. And this is happening to all of us. You, you don't have to have chronic pain for these things to cause you inflammation in your body. Um, and I think a lot of people they can get away with eating junk and treating their body poorly because their body doesn't punish them as much as it punishes me. Um, you know, my, my body is always unwell. It's, I'm always sick. I'm always dealing with pain and inflammation and fatigue. And so it's very noticeable to me when I stray off the path of healthy living um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be happening in everyone, but maybe to a, a smaller extent. So, um, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nutritionist, but I do have quite a lot of scientific training and I do have a lot of experience as an autoimmune chronic illness patient. So this is where um, I bring a lot of my experience from uh, my view as a patient and all the things that I've tried and what helps me that doesn't mean that it's going to help other people with even the same illness as me because it all presents differently we all have different body chemistry and and all sorts of things going on we have different genetics and all that sort of stuff but um you know I can at least give general advice on doing these sort of things has helped me slowly become a bit better over the last few years um, to bring things more to a manageable level where I can participate in my life again. I have more time now. I can do more things in the day than I used to be able to. And um, it makes me really appreciate that. So that that time is basically, it's precious because I earned it back by working hard and doing all the things that I need to do to look after myself. So, um, you know, if by sharing my experience with others can help others just a little bit, then I'm more than happy to do that. 
Yes, you're right. And I think uh, this is the reason that we always say that nature is the best therapy. And uh, your story is uh, indeed a very inspiring for me also. And I hope it's going to inspire the world as well to the people who are going to listen this podcast. So, uh, Anita, is there any organization or movement, maybe in Australia or internationally, concerned with environment that you are part of or particularly follow their work? Oh, internationally. Um, if you haven't heard of Paul Stamets, look into him because he is a a mycologist who is basically at the forefront of a lot of exciting areas of research when it comes to fungi in mycology research. So um, he was in a movie that came out a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago called Fantastic Fungi, um, which incredible movie. I'm so happy that they made it because basically all these things that I had been learning about fungi and keeping an eye on the latest research. And um, they they put this all together in not only a very informative and easy to follow movie, but with breathtaking footage of um, fungi and all their amazing colors and shapes and time-lapse um, you know, photography of them um, growing and all these sorts of stuff. And they interview a whole bunch of different um, experts that are sort of doing this kind of research and all the different areas that um, where sort of uh, making, making good steps. Um, so it covers everything from fungi as food and medicine to how um, fungi can uh, help be like a, a source of vegan leather and materials and how, um, you know, growing fungi actually takes much less space and resources than growing other types of crops um, and even explores the... Uh, psilocybin the the ingredient that's in magic mushrooms how the research now is showing that um having controlled doses in the right kind of setting um with the the right sort of people people that are struggling with mental health issues or facing terminal diagnoses um people that are really really struggling with like anxiety depression ptsd all these sorts of things, um, it actually shows really promising results in that a lot of these people end up with um, a new sense of basically a new way of looking at the world. It, it helps them to get over these terrible obstacles. Um, and I think that that's a, a really important area of research that got some... Um, ignored basically for a long time because of the illegal status of uh, psychedelic mushrooms all around the world. So the research was just not being done for a long time, but it is now and we're getting more and more evidence. Um, so basically all, 
all these exciting areas of mycology, they, they sum it up very well in this movie. So if you haven't seen Fantastic Fungi, um, you can go to fantasticfungi.com and see it there. I actually watched it in the cinema when it came out because I couldn't wait. I, I wanted to go and see it as soon as I could. Um, and it just made me say, yes, they're finally getting all this information out to everyone. And now everyone's going to catch on to basically how the how fungi can help save the world fungi are even helping um the bees with their colony collapse uh, it you know improves their their gut health and their um their immune systems and it helps their survivability because you know we're facing a big problem with the bees at the moment that they're dying off due to multiple reasons but you know human impact chemical all that chemicals all that sort of stuff so um yeah, basically fungi are going to help us in so many ways and, um, you know, we, we can get through all these terrible things um, by using fungi to, to help us. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, before coming to this podcast also, I was reading some of the magazines and articles based on fungi. So uh, there's something that I found everywhere uh, that is fungi have some, uh, you know, nutritious benefits as well as uh, medical properties. So uh, I just want to know more about it. Can you please elaborate? Yeah, of course. So um, basically... Fungi can be a really good source of loads of different vitamins and minerals um, and health benefits that when we incorporate them into our diet. And, you know, I, I can't really um, attest to what it's like in, in other parts of the world there, because it really is culture dependent um, how much fungi ha have been integrated into the, the diet and culture of different parts of the world. But Living in Australia, um, people are not that big on fungi. They they tend to just have, you know, the, the normal little button mushrooms that you see in the supermarket and that's pretty much all they have and a lot of people don't even like those because of the texture or, um, you know, there's not much flavour or whatever that might be. So if you think about looking at all the, the grocery stores and the markets and the variety of all the different fruits and vegetables that you see there, there, there's basically an entire kingdom of fungi that can give us all that diversity as well. So, you know, it's hard to generalise and say this is in every mushroom and this is in every mushroom. It's really species dependent. Um, but basically there, there's so many species out there that we can be incorporating into our diet because they can be wonderful sources of fiber which are you know important for our gut function um, they can be low, uh, well they're low sodium cholesterol free um, fat free they can be a source of vitamin d and i know a lot of us in um, this day and age of vitamin d deficient because we work inside and um, we we're basically a little bit phobic of actually sunlight because we know if we get too much it can be very harmful to us um, and you can't really get vitamin d from any other uh, food source besides mushrooms and you can even increase the content by 
um, slicing your mushrooms and putting them with the gills facing up in the in the sunlight and getting them to have some UV light. Um, and that could even increase the vitamin D content um, by around 25%, I think it was. So um, basically, you know, they contain potassium, which are important for the heart um, and muscle and nerve functions. They contain antioxidants, which protects your cells against damage. Um, and so these are even just the edible mushrooms. So talking about shiitake, oyster mushrooms, enoki, um, all those kinds of mushrooms. And then we have our uh, fungi that are really known for their medicinal properties. They're not really considered edible because they come from really woody, um, tough uh, sort of fruiting bodies, but you can um, basically boil them into a tea and extract those beneficial, um, you know, antioxidants and immunomodulatory properties. It can really help uh, regulate and support normal immune system function. Um, and, you know, we already really benefit from fungi. The first antibiotic that was ever discovered was um, from the penicillium mold. And, you know, we derive penicillin from it. And therefore, you know, we've been able to save so many people over several decades um, from succumbing to bacterial infection. Uh, and we probably take for granted how easy it is these days that, oh, we get an infection, we just go to the doctor, get some tablets, and then it, it's all good. Um, that That's all <laughs> thanks to antibiotics. Um, and, you know, a lot of our medicinals are derived from plants and, and fungi. Um, so, and this is the penicillium molds are, basically household they're found in every household if you let some pieces of fruit go moldy you'll probably find some penicillium mold on there um so and we wouldn't even um have bread or beer if we didn't have yeast yeast are single-celled fungi so you know it's already in our diet um but it's nowhere near enough as it could be for many of us so um basically if you want to get everything you need from your diet which you know is i see that as the better way rather than taking a whole bunch of different tablets so supplements are not a good replacement for a healthy diet um, basically i advise people to in, try and have fun and incorporate all these different species of fungi um, in your diet have fun with the different textures and flavors and um, cooking new dishes that, that they go well with and, um, you know, find out what you like, what you don't like and whatever. And um, so I, I wouldn't advise um, newcomers to go foraging straight away because it actually takes a lot of um, learning and uh, a lot of commitment to actually learn the edible verse toxic ones in your area and how to identify between them. And, of course, we, we don't want people picking from um, protected areas like national parks. It's it's illegal to pull any material out of, of these areas. So, and also wouldn't advise people to forage nearby roads and highways and things like that because it, mushrooms can take up 
a little bit of um, that pollution. So uh, really there's starting to be a lot more options, at least where I am in the stores, of more and more um, fungal species being available. And uh, some of them are locally grown here, but a lot of them are imported. We, we could be doing better and be growing them more locally. Um, but I think that's taking off. It's just taking a while. But I am seeing um, more and more diversity being available in more and more stores when it comes to fungi. And that's, that's great. I'm really having fun with it um, and encouraging others to do the same. I, I can't really say that it will fix all your problems if you have health problems that vitamin that um you know eating mushrooms will be the the one thing that'll save you well not really it's i do include a lot of different mushrooms in my diet um but i also do all these other things in relation to my lifestyle that also help every little thing plays a part so you can't expect to just take one thing and it to, to solve all your problems but um i will happily advise people to try diversifying fungi in their diet and as medicinals because um you know our ancestors did this for so long and reaped the benefits from that and um We've sort of moved away from that, especially in Western culture. Um, so I, I'm trying to, to bring it back, to bring it into um, people's radar. Right now I'm realizing that such a small life, how it can be uh, as such beneficial for us. And, you know, uh, like I have studied biology till my high school and I remember that every year we were taught only a very silly thing about the fungi that... Uh, it is something that excluded from flora and fauna as it don't have the chlorophyll, couldn't possess the photosynthesis and all. So um, don't you think that people choose to ignore the fungi or why is there not more education about it? Uh, well, at first it was really because our knowledge of fungi was very limited. They were considered as um, sort of more primitive plants, the lower plants, uh, but now, you know, we've done a lot more research on them. We know that they are a, a separate type of organism uh, on their own. And, you know, even back when I was in school, we learned nothing about mushrooms in, in the education system, um, or nothing about fungi really. and now I work in a school and I overhear all of the biology lessons, all of the chemistry, physics and all these lessons because I'm, I'm around as all these classes are going on every single day. And there's very, very little content when it comes to fungi. Um, it's always about oh, comparing animal cells to plant cells. It's all about learning about photosynthesis. It's all about learning um, classification um, and using animals, the different animal groups, to learn about taxonomy and systematics. Um, and there, there's nothing about what's a fungi um, cell look like and how does it function and, and all these sorts of things. Um, and so I think that when people are not educated about certain things, they tend to fear what they don't know. And because they have zero confidence in being able to know which species of mushroom they're looking at, um, basically 
a lot of people just assume that these fungi are harmful, they're bad, they're toxic, oh, they're, there's a, a phobia um, that, oh, I don't know what it is, it, it's probably deadly if you tried to touch it or eat it, and that's just not the case at all. Um, so I think we need to really move away from fearing the unknown and say, well, actually, it's it's not that difficult to understand it. Um, and the more that we understand something, the more likely people are to want to help protect it and, um, and the more likely they are to integrate it into their own lives. So, um, you know, the, the thing also is that fungi are not really around all the time in the way that we can see them. So basically when, when a fungus grows a mushroom, it's growing the fruit that is the reproductive structure of the mushroom. Um, it, it will drop its spores from the gills or the pores um, and they reproduce through the spreading of these spores. And then, you know, the mushroom will um, sort of rot away and then we don't see anything with that fungus, no more mushrooms for maybe another year because some mushrooms, you know, only fruit once a year during specific conditions um, and so they're not always around when we walk through nature but not in a way that we can see them but they are always there um, they they're in the ground forming complex um, you know networks in between all the plant roots and forming symbiotic um, relationships with other organisms out there um, basically we, we don't think about things when we can't see them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we really need to get more on board with integrating fungi more into our education systems um, and teaching people to, to not be afraid that, you know, it's basically like if you look in anyone's garden, there's probably going to be some toxic plants that you're not supposed to eat. You, um, you know, they're very bad for you if you try to eat them. Same with fungi, of course, but um, some of them are harmful. Some of them are benign and some of them are beneficial. And it just comes down to learning each individual one. Um, and knowing their role in the ecosystem that they play because they have very important roles in terms of um, having mycorrhizal relationships with plants. So basically they, they form a relationship with a plant where uh, the plant through photosynthesis will create sugars, basically food and energy to live off and the plant sends those to the fungi and the fungi in return um, give them other sort of minerals and, and nutrients that the fungi are able to take up. So there's always this um, exchange that's going on. And alternatively, there are some fungi that are saprotrophic, which means they are decomposers. They help to break down dead wood and sticks and leaves and all, all the, the forest litter that, that drops to the ground. It's really fungi that are the main drivers of breaking down those things, 
putting the nutrients back into the soil and back into the system so that these nutrients are going through the cycles in the ecosystem and they're not just lost and sitting there forever. Because imagine if if when a tree falls and dies, nothing ever breaks it down. Imagine all the trees that have all been felled in the forest um, over time, imagine if they just stayed there forever and didn't get broken down. We'd we'd be living on however many layers of of dead wood that just doesn't go away. Um, and I mean, of course, you can get parasitic fungi as well, fungi that cause um, sort of disease in plants and animals and um, and in us as well, of course. But again, it's just like plants. There's some that are good, some that are not so good for us and it's again just learning one by one um what that what they are and whether they what they do for us you know uh, i have read that fungi also holds promises for breaking down plastics and uh, generating new types of biofuels so um, i'm just curious like how it can be used as a sustainable tool in terms of packaging and environmental cleanups yeah, well, I mean, we all know we have a problem with plastic, don't we? It's everywhere. It's all in our landfill. It's um, all in the all in the environment, polluting the oceans, the the land, um, and everything in between. So, basically, uh, people have been developing packaging that is made with the mycelium of fungi. So, the mycelium are are like these mats that are made up of hyphae threads, the really thin um, little white strands of fungi that sort of live through the soil or, or through their substrate. Um, and the, that's like the, the fungal organism. And then the mushroom is just like the fruit, like an apple on a tree. It's how it reproduces. So basically people use the mycelium um, to create packaging that is kind of really similar to cardboard um, and it it decomposes within 50 to 200 days or something. It's 100% compostable um, and, you know, when we talk about growing fungi or, um, you know, mycelium or mushrooms on a large scale, again, that doesn't take anywhere near as much room as it does um, for plant crops and you can actually um, have many layers in, um, uh, shells growing um, you know blocks of these fungi um, in a, a sterile controlled environment um, so you, you don't have to chop down trees and entire plantations to create the paper and the cardboard and um, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So I I hate that when I order things online, um, they arrive just completely wrapped in so many layers of plastic and tape and all these things. And, yeah, protect the, the goods that you're sending, um, but it a lot of it is really over the top and it creates a lot of trash. And 
even if something is recyclable like the cardboard it's completely covered in you know like sticky tape that you can't even remove and it's actually very difficult for us as the the consumers to keep um, sorting our rubbish in ways that um, you know we keep the recycling with the recycling we compost what we can um, and then the rest has to go to rubbish and we you know even recycling is not the answer because it does take um, energy and resources to to keep recycling things so basically if there's something that we can use that does the same job or if not better then we need to move towards that it, it's fantastic um i'm all for it basically so um uh, there's more and more I'm seeing companies that are getting on board with this and, and it's really exciting. I think it's a, a step in a positive direction. So um, I think, yeah, you can go to like mushroompackaging.com and, and read about what they do and how they make stuff. Um, and, yeah, you, you can just compost it um, if you have a little bit of space in your garden or if you have a green waste bin like I do I I get um every week my garden clippings and uh vegetable sort of skins and all all the kitchen scraps and things like that um get picked up and they don't go to landfill they get turned into you know compost and stuff by our, our council and and all that so um I think it, it's a step in the positive direction in giving us some um, more sustainable options. So uh, what does your take, uh, if any, on regulations, maybe in your country or internationally, regarding biodiversity conservation? Uh, well, I mean, we, we know that um, there's just not enough being done, is there? It's, I see, I heard recently in my personal state in my country that they're thinking of banning people from walking off trail in natural areas, like, you know, protected national parks and forests and, and these things. And I feel like that's, A, going to be very difficult to, um, to regulate and to police. And you know, it's just kind of like speeding on the road. If people know they're not supposed to do it. If they get caught, they cop a fine or they lose their license or whatever. And But people still do it every day and they get away with it. So, um, yeah, it, it actually can be damaging to our natural areas if people do walk off trail or they walk from in one park to another And because when we get soil on our shoes, we're picking up all sorts of microbes and spores and they're staying on our shoes or even on our clothes. And then we go and introduce those to another natural area when we go and walk through that area. Um, so, you know, we do have some problems with pathogenic fungi in Australia. We've got Phytophthora cinnamomi, which causes root rot in um, a lot of our native trees and plants um it's very harmful and we're, we're trying to slow down the spread so encouraging people to clean their shoes between walking in, in different area i think will be more beneficial than just 
stopping people from trying to walk off trail. And when you think about it, it's really just like a tiny little band-aid over the huge gaping wound that is problems with losing biodiversity and, um, you know, damage to our natural areas. So uh, I think that um, we just really need stronger action on the ground. We, we need to stop these things um, from the areas that are causing the most damage. I mean, Australia is very biodiverse um, in not only fungi, but all living things, but we are losing species at a really fast rate. We've got thousands of species that are threatened and endangered. Um, and, you know, just implementing little things like um, don't walk off trail, that's really not going to help the, the larger problem of we have habitat destruction. We have people still trying to build coal mines. We have people still trying to knock down forests for, for development. Um, we still have so many pest animals and plants and fungi that are taking over our natural areas. I'd, every time I go and walk, even whether it's just in the suburbs or out in nature, I see so many pest animals, rabbits, foxes, um, you know, animals that are invasive but were introduced here and the problem's just out of control and there's not even really much being done um, to, to combat these problems. And I, I understand that some of that is because we don't want to cause more problems when we try and solve a problem, you know, like what with happened with the cane toads. Um, they they tried to um, stop cane beetles from destroying sugarcane crops, so they introduced cane toads to eat the beetles, but now cane toads are just absolutely taking over huge portions of our country and, um, you know, nothing in our environment was really evolved to eat them as a food source, so there's nothing to control their populations. Um, and so that's something that we're, we're really trying to deal with, um, humane ways of reducing that and um, with trying to deal with that. And there's, there's a lot of biological sort of research going in and um, how can we maybe sterilise them or um, do all these sorts of things. But, you know, it's, um, there's so many angles that we need to look at this from. And I think a, a whole lot of time is being wasted just squabbling with, with ourselves and whether we should do this or do that. And, and um, the longer we leave it, the worse these problems are becoming. The longer we leave it, the more species we lose for good. Um, so uh, we, we really need to all come together and, and figure out how we're going to do this in... Um, a, a, a suitable way and be an achievable way where the average person can do something to be involved and, and to help and, and have the education that we need to make the right sort of um, decisions. And I would urge people to, if you can vote in where, wherever you live, to use your vote wisely, to vote for the political parties that... Um, are more serious about fixing these issues 
or, or even just address addressing these issues that um, you know voting for the people that are motivated and actually care about these things and listen to the experts listen to the scientists about how much our natural areas um, our environments are struggling and how much they're being damaged and say well that we don't want that to keep going on we want to improve the health of things for for ourselves for our children for future generations um, you know what is even the point in having children when if the planet's going to be totally destroyed and all of our natural ecosystems collapse well we will collapse soon after that um so we we kind of have one shot to um to deal with these things in a, in a sufficient way um and yeah i mean there's lots of little things that we can all do again like i said um be mindful that you can potentially be spreading pathogens if you have a lot of dirt on your shoes walking from different areas and um you know buying from companies that are much more sustainable and um care about care about the environment and um do things in a way that it's not as harmful to it that's really amazing that's really amazing that uh, you are doing such a great work and i'm completely agree with your thought so uh, we are now come to the end of this podcast but still there's something that murmuring in my brain that uh, i think it going to be my last question for this episode so um, anita do you agree that a more radical strategy is proper and needed in biodiversity conservation of course yeah we definitely need more more action towards this because again like i said there's just so much talk and debate and squabbling and um really not much action happening and these problems are getting worse um i see it every time i go outside in my country and um you know there's just people kind of don't usually sit on the fence they either have a strong um opinion for or against these actions that people propose like um in our high country in our sort of mountainous areas we have uh brumbies horses you know that were um brought to australia and you know in the settlement days and then they um became wild they sort of escaped or were let go into nature and now there's these populations of um these horses that um don't actually belong in our countryside um and they're doing a lot of damage to our, our rivers and waterways and mountains and our soil and causing a lot of disturbance and erosion because um Australia naturally doesn't have like uh hooved animals we so the environment did not um evolve in a way to deal with being ripped up in, in such a, a forceful manner with with animals that have hooves like that and you know all the scientists and all the experts are saying we need to do something now they're causing too much damage we need to cull them we need to do something with them get them out somehow and then there's always the opposing side of oh no they're a part of australia's you know history and heritage and um they're living animals it's not their fault that they were born out in here in a country that they're not native and um we don't want them to suffer and all that well yeah it it's definitely not these issues are really not 
easy and no one person has all the answers, but we really need to keep um, working with each other rather than against each other because the longer we leave it and squabble over what to do, the, the worse these issues are going to get and the more we're going to lose. And basically when we lose a species, it's it's gone forever and we lose the benefits that it could have given us and the environment with it. Um, and, you know, it's really heartbreaking to see how much loss has already happened. And um, even even in my country, again, another problem is um, bushfires. Every, every few years we have really, really bad bushfires. And um, a couple of years ago we, we experienced just that before these... Um, We've had actually some La Nina years here, so they've been very wet and destructive in that way. But right before the pandemic, we had some severe bushfires all around Australia and the amount of habitat that was burnt and lost and the amount of animals that were burnt and lost is just in in the millions or billions. And it um, was deeply, deeply upsetting that if we had better management strategies of our natural areas, if we listen to Indigenous Australians more and worked with them in, in how they were custodians of the land for many, many thousands of years before white people came, how they managed things, we need to work with them and listen to them and um, really work in more of a preventative way rather than trying to mop up the damage after the damage happens. Indeed, this is awesome. And, you know, uh, right now I'm realizing, I'm feeling like how a small creature, such a small life that's uh, very colorful and umbrella shaped can be uh, as such beneficial for us, even for, for our body, for our environment also. And uh, I and after this podcast, personally, I came to know a lot of things and I couldn't believe that such a small life can have, you know, such a broad and depth dimension and such mysterious stories behind it. And uh, even your story, your personal story is a very inspiring and it's inspiring for me also. And I hope that everyone who's listening to this podcast, it will going to inspire and uh, pop up in your mind as well. And uh, so by the end of this podcast, I just want to thanks to you, Anita, for letting us know a lot of things about the fungi. And we will definitely looking forward to learn more about you and with some more programs and events, whatever ESV is going to organize and I thanks to everyone who's come every week to listen such a incredible contents about nature conservation and sustainable development. So uh, thank you everyone for joining us here. And uh, by the end, Anita, if there's anything that left and you want to add up to this podcast, to this episode, or maybe parsing remarks you would like to uh, mention, then please go ahead. Yeah, of course. Well, um, thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about these things to whoever's willing to listen. Um, so, you know, don't forget the third F. It's flora, fauna and funga. There, there's a whole kingdom out there that is just a treasure trove of things that can benefit us. Um, so you need more fungi in your life. We all need more fungi in our life. Um, diversify the mushrooms in your diet immerse yourself in nature, allow yourself to feel connected to the natural world, um, support your local conservation not-for-profits wherever you are, um, even a tiny dino donation of money can go a long way. 
um, use your vote wisely, vote for people that will manage our natural areas in the best way. Um, and actually also, if you can, use citizen science. Something that I haven't mentioned is um, I, I personally use iNaturalist. I think it's fantastic. So anyone can, whatever you find, whether it's an animal, plant, mushroom, um, if you take a photo of it, you can upload it to iNaturalist and there are people on there that will help you identify what it is. And if more than two people agree what that species is, then that observation becomes research grade. And, um, you know, real researchers and scientists do use citizen science apps like iNaturalist to um to collect data, it, the, this data becomes research grade. And then we have more eyes on the ground. We can see which species are being found where and what sort of problems we're dealing with. We get a better scope of what's happening. And the more we, the more data we collect, the better equipped we are to working towards managing our natural areas and, and the things that we do. So, um, yeah, use citizen science apps if you can. I love iNaturalist. Um, and the internet is a treasure trove of free information. I mean, YouTube, Instagram, there's so many people out there, micro-educators and researchers and um you know, scientists or even just people spreading the good word. So, um, yeah, that, that's it. Fungi are going to help us save the world. You just watch. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anita. Thank you so much for your presence and for your such for sharing all those things that you're doing. And uh, I salute to your efforts and dedication for the nature and the science as well. So everyone who would like to visit Anita's profile or maybe want to learn more about the fungi, they can visit to her as, as she already mentioned about the Instagram account that is Fungal Beauty. And I hope that you will be uh, keep learning and keep exploring about more. And we will soon come up with the next episode with some more content, with some uh, with another guest, with another topic. Till then, keep learning and keep exploring. Thank you. <laughs>